Let us turn together in the sacred scriptures to Numbers chapter 11. We're going to read the entire chapter. The verses to which I especially call your attention are verses 24 through 30. So this is the word of the Lord, Numbers chapter 11. And when the people complained... It displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color thereof as the color of delium. And the people went about, and gathered it, and ground it in mills, or beat it in a mortar, and baked it in pans, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent, And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth the suckling child? Unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them, that they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not alone, not thyself alone. And say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. Ye shall not eat one day, 
nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor ten, twenty days, but even a whole month until it come out at your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you, because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people among whom I am are six hundred thousand footmen. And thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? And the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and gathered the seventy men of the elders of the people, and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud, and spake unto him, and took of the spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp, The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them. And they were of them that were written, but went not out unto the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Enviest thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses gat him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. And there went forth a wind from the Lord, and brought quails from the sea, and let them fall by the camp, as it were a day's journey on this side, and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. And the people stood up all all that day, and all that night, and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. He that gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them all abroad for themselves round about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of that place Kibroth Heteva, because there they buried the people that lusted. And the people journeyed from Kibroth Heteva unto Hazeroth, and abode at Hazeroth. Thus far, we read in the Holy Scriptures. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Beloved in the Lord, perhaps it strikes some of us as a bit unusual on this Pentecost Sunday to turn not forwards in our Bibles to the beginning of the New Testament, to the book of Acts, but rather backwards in our Bibles to one of the first five books of the Bible, one of the books of Moses, this book of Numbers, and the 11th chapter 
because today is Pentecost, a day in which the church commemorates and gives thanks for that wonderful gift of the ascended Christ, one of the chief blessings of salvation, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church, that Pentecost Sunday. But here in Numbers 11, we go centuries back. Back to the days of the church, not in her spiritual adulthood, but the church in her spiritual infancy. That infant church that had just been brought out of the land of her captivity by God through the hand of Moses. And that church which often behaved like a complaining infant the whole way through the wilderness. Numbers 11 is a chapter of that history of the church's wanderings in the wilderness. And we see here in Numbers 11 something that is a recurring event as Israel went through the wilderness. Complaint, dissatisfaction, rebelliousness, distrust of the God who by his mighty hand and outstretched arm had delivered them from the house of bondage and was leading them to the land that he swore he would give them. But couched in this ancient history of the church in her infancy is a remarkable foreshadowing of Pentecost. And that's what our text is. We're going to look at this entire chapter, but we're going to focus especially on verses 24 through 30, which contain that foreshadowing of Pentecost in the event that is here recorded, God's act of taking the Spirit which He had placed upon Moses and placing it upon 70 other Israelite elders, equipping them to assist Moses in his position as the leader of God's people and the picture mediator for the children of Israel. And that work of God providentially drew forth from Moses' heart and lips the words that we read in verse 29. A remarkable prayer, spontaneous, expressing an earnest desire. Moses says, would, would God, there we have an old English way of saying, I want, I wish, I earnestly desire, I pray, would the Lord, would God, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. An ancient prayer for Pentecost, a prayer drawn from the heart of the Old Testament picture mediator for a better day when the Spirit would be poured out upon the whole covenant people of God. And it's that beautiful prayer 
that we're going to look at tonight. Because the Scriptures, though they were written over many centuries, the Scriptures are one. For they are the Word of God. And at the heart of that Word of God is Jesus Christ Himself. And thus, as we commemorate Pentecost and give thanks for the outpouring of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit that we as New Testament believers have, we can turn to this Old Testament passage and be instructed about Christ and His Spirit. And instructed for our lives in the Spirit of Christ yet today. And so we consider this text under the theme, An Ancient Prayer for Pentecost. An Ancient Prayer for Pentecost. Let's notice in the first place the occasion. We're going to there look at the history that leads up to this prayer being made. Secondly, the petition itself. Moses' spontaneous prayer. And then finally, the fulfillment of that ancient prayer. We begin with the situation in Numbers 11, and the situation as we saw, as we read this chapter, was not a good situation. The text sets before us Moses, and we find Moses in not the best state. He's weary, weary and to the point of despair. He was weary undoubtedly because of the long road he had traveled as the one called by God to lead the people of Israel. This was much harder work, much more demanding than shepherding his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. He had a far more precious flock given to his charge, but this flock, Jehovah's flock, was often far more difficult than Jethro's sheep. And that's what we see here. So often the children of Israel complained, murmured, did not trust. And that happens yet again here in Numbers 11. They were stirred up, verse 11 says, by the mixed multitude that was there among them. That mixed multitude was a group of people that constantly caused trouble. They were a mixed multitude, meaning there were Egyptians among them. Some Egyptians that had left with the people of Israel during the Exodus. Why? We don't know for sure. Some of them were probably half Egyptian, half Israelite through intermarriage. But this group was a continual source of trouble for the Israelites. And so the trouble started there, but quickly spread throughout the camp. Complaining. And now the complaining that we read of here in Numbers 11 is of a more egregious nature, you might say, than some of the complaining we know about earlier in the history. The Israelites here are not complaining about the absence of water. They're not complaining about the fact that they have no food. In fact, God's provision of food is precisely what they are complaining about. Not a lack of bread, but this bread over and over and over again. They have grown tired. They have grown sick of the manna that God has provided for them in the wilderness, miraculous as it is. And so they grumble and they complain against their God who had so provided them their daily bread. And to the great offense and provocation of their God, they begin thinking about Egypt as if it were this paradise, as if God had done them wrong by dragging them out of the house of bondage, out into the wilderness now where they are deprived of the fish, the leeks, the garlic, and the onions that they at least thought they enjoyed in such rich measure in Egypt, where in fact they were slaves under the cruelest bondage. How displeasing that was to the Lord. How displeasing it was to Moses. So we find Moses here in this chapter, he's about had it. He cries out to God. 
In verse 11, he refers to his work as the, as the leader of Israel as an affliction to him. He doesn't know what to do. He needs help. He speaks in verse 14 of the burden of leadership, the burden of caring for these people whom he loves, and yet they are so stiff-necked and rebellious. He says, I am not able to bear this people alone. So deep is Moses' weariness to the point of despair that he says in verse 15, Lord, take my life. I can't do it. How extraordinary God's patience and mercy towards His people. It should impress us how much God put up with as He led Israel through the wilderness. Yes, there was much chastening. Yes, we read often of the Lord's anger being provoked. We read of Him smiting the people with a plague, smiting them with fire. That was His just chastening, as well as His punishment upon the reprobate element among Israel. But it is utterly astounding that God did not send His fire and utterly consume the entirety of Israel. This people that constantly distrusted and complained and murmured and wished for the house of bondage again. And yet God in His love for His people never casts off the people that murmur against Him and rebel against Him. What a comfort that is because if we are spiritually honest with ourselves, we're, we're a lot like those Israelites, aren't we? A lot like them. How often we distrust How often we complain. In this week of self-examination, let us look in the mirror of this text and see ourselves here, not puff ourselves up and look at these Israelites and say, what fools, what arrogant people, what ungrateful people. I'm not like that. But let us see ourselves there. How often are we earthly minded? How often do we grow tired of what God gives us and want more? How often do we complain against the Lord and His way with us as if He does us some injustice, is not sensitive to our needs, does not know what is best in the way that He leads us? We are so often like Israel. Sadly so, because we have been brought to spiritual maturity by the Spirit. And so this text is is rebuked to us, calls us to see our sins, to search for those sins in our week of self-examination, to confess them, to turn from them, and flee to the cross of Christ, who is the bread of life, who feeds and nourishes our souls to everlasting life, in whom we find forgiveness of all of our sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation. God's mercy, that He did not consume the people, but kept His promise to bring His people to the promised land. And merciful to Moses now, And that he supplies help for Moses. God will provide help in the form of ordained assistance to aid Moses in his leadership of the people and specifically in his teaching and bringing the word to the people. We read of this help that God will give to Moses now in verses 16 and 17 where God gives Moses specific instructions what he is to do. Verses 16 and 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people. The idea there is, Moses, gather seventy of the elders who are known in Israel to be good elders. Men who have wisdom. 
experience, a care for the people, a certain God-given ability, the gifts for office, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. Now perhaps we remember back in Exodus 18, something similar had happened. Moses was overburdened by the work of judging the various cases and disputes that came before him by the children of Israel. And so Jethro, his father-in-law, gave him good advice that he was to appoint captains and elders and leaders over the people who could hear some of those cases and bear some of that burden with Moses. And that, that took place. There were elders in Israel who held an office of rule and assisted Moses in that way. But what we see from this text is that Moses needed especially help not only in his leadership role, but in his teaching role. Later on, we will see that these men are equipped by the Spirit to prophesy, to bring the Word. And so it seems, here in this passage, that that is especially what these men would assist Moses with, the instruction and bringing of the Word to the people of God. And that's what they needed right now as they grumbled and complained, as every family wept at the door of their tent, lamenting the fact that they didn't have the luxuries of Egypt and that they had to sit here in the wilderness eating manna. They needed to hear the Word. They needed the Word of God pointing out their sin, calling them to repentance and faith and trust in the God of their salvation. And so God says, gather 70 men to the tabernacle, and I will make them suitable helpers to you. And so Moses does what God commands him. He gathers 70 men from the tribes of Israel, and he brings them to the tabernacle. And now verses 24 and 25 describes for us what happens, then, what happens next. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and gathered the seventy men of the elders of the people, and set them round about the tabernacle. The way to envision this in your mind is to think of the tabernacle in the wilderness. You remember, it was the tent There was a tent, and inside that tent was the holy place, and then the most holy place behind the veil, and in that most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant was positioned. But now outside of the tent, there was an enclosed space, the courtyard of the tabernacle. And that's where Moses and these 70 elders stood. They stood all around the tabernacle tent. Now verse 25 And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto them. That's often how God manifested His presence and His glory to His people Israel during their journey through the wilderness. A cloud indicating His presence and His glory. God comes down. His cloud rests upon the tabernacle. And from that cloud of His glory, God speaks to Moses and the 70. And now we go on in verse 25. And took of the Spirit that was upon him, that is upon Moses, and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not 
cease. There is something marvelous that took place. God conferred the Spirit upon these 70 elders. Whose Spirit? Perhaps you notice in our King James translation, the word Spirit here in these verses begins with a lowercase s. We ought to capitalize the s. The text here is not talking about some divine influence that was upon Moses that God now transfers to these 70 men. Nor is the text speaking about Moses' own character. Sometimes we use the word spirit that way. You say that man is fiery spirited. It means he has a passionate and perhaps hot temper. He's a passionate man. But what's being spoken of here, the Spirit in the text, is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit first introduced to us in the opening verses of the Bible, the Spirit that moved upon the face of the waters, the Spirit by whom God created. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. God had placed the Holy Spirit upon Moses. Moses had been given an anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that really is the explanation for everything that Moses did in the capacity of the leader and mediator for Israel. He was empowered. He was equipped. He was given the wisdom and the ability and the strength and the stamina and all of the rest to do the work that God gave him to do by the Holy Spirit that God placed upon him. You see, that's how the Spirit worked in the Old Testament. The Spirit did not work in a fundamentally different way in the Old Testament than He does in the New Testament. The Spirit was still the Lord and giver of life. The Spirit regenerated. The Spirit kindled faith. The Spirit sanctified God's people. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit did not fill to the vast measure that He does now after Pentecost. But God would send His Spirit to be upon a person. To equip and empower them for a specific office and work. That language of the Spirit being upon someone we encounter first here in our text, but you'll read of it in many places throughout the Old Testament. For example, in Judges, Judges 3.10, the judge Othniel has the Spirit of God come upon him, and that enables Othniel to defeat the king of Mesopotamia. You can read the same thing of Gideon. And Jephthah, later in the book of Judges, of Samson in Judges 14, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson and gives him the strength to rend that lion apart, the lion that he met in the road. Or perhaps a very well-known example in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, where we are told that after Samuel anointed David king of Israel, The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. The Spirit would be conferred upon an individual to equip them and empower them for a particular office or work. That's what happens here. But now, something marvelous. The Spirit that God had placed upon Moses, He gives that same Spirit 
to these 70 elders to enable them, to equip them, to qualify them, to empower them to assist Moses in leading the people and in teaching the people. And here, there comes to the foreground the truth of the deity of the Spirit. The Spirit that was upon Moses is placed upon these 70 And yet the Spirit is in no way diminished. It's not as if the Spirit that is upon Moses becomes divided and so just a part of the Spirit is left on Moses and a few other parts are distributed to the other 70. No, the whole Spirit is conferred upon them because the Spirit is illimitable, infinite, omnipresent, almighty, the Spirit of the living God. Now notice this also that in verse 25 we are told that the Spirit rested upon them. You could render those words this way, the Spirit took His settled abode upon them. That means the Spirit stayed upon them. This was not a one-time thing, but the Spirit stayed upon them to equip them for an ongoing work assisting Moses in the leading and the teaching of the people of Israel. And the result is the end of verse 25. They prophesied and did not cease. They prophesied. Understand that prophecy or prophesying in the Scriptures is not first of all telling the future. Prophecy is not first of all foretelling, but forth-telling. That is, speaking forth the Word of God. That's what happens here. God comes down and manifests His presence and His glory in the cloud, and God speaks to Moses and the 70 elders. There, the Word of God is communicated to these men, and they then bring that Word to others. They prophesy, they speak the Word of God. That's what prophesying is. It is hearing the Word of God, internalizing that Word, and then bringing that Word to others to teach them, to apply it to them, to proclaim that Word. Under the power of the Spirit, the influence of the Spirit that was taken from Moses and placed upon them, these 70 elders Prophesied. They spoke the Word of God with a new and enriched understanding, illuminated by that Spirit, empowered and equipped to teach that Word. And they could do no other. The Hebrew word for prophecy or prophesying here is a, a very vivid word. It, it literally means to boil over or to bubble up. The word that they had heard, they could not keep inside of them, but they had to speak it. They had to bring it to others. An illustration that can help us all and perhaps will be memorable to the children here is the illustration of a pot upon the stove. Perhaps mom is preparing dinner. They're having spaghetti tonight. And the water is poured into the pot and the pot is set on the stove and it has to be brought to a boil. And as the heat under the pot warms the water, quickly that water is brought to a boil. But now what happens if that pot is forgotten about very soon, and you can't stop it, the water is going to bubble up and 
boil over the edges of the pot. And that's the idea of the prophesying here. The Spirit comes upon these men and the Word of God is put in them and like a boiling pot, they cannot contain it, but it comes flowing out. This was to be a visible sign and seal to the people of Israel that God Himself had called and equipped these men for that work. But now, in the Old Testament, this was extraordinary. This didn't happen every day. The Spirit coming upon 70 to equip and empower them to understand more deeply and richly and to teach the Word of God so that they begin prophesying there in the temple courtyard. This is extraordinary. This was a small-scale Pentecost. A small-scale Pentecost. And that's the occasion then that leads to the prayer that we're going to focus on in the rest of the sermon. This extraordinary manifestation of the power of the Spirit of God brings forth from Moses spontaneously, but prompted by the Spirit, a longing petition. Would God that all His people were prophets and that God would put His Spirit upon them all Now that longing petition is also prophetic. Prophetic in that other sense of foretelling. While prophecy in the Scriptures is mainly foretelling, proclaiming the Word of God, there were times that God gave His prophets a vision of future events or insight into the unfolding of His counsel in days yet to come, and that became part of the message that they brought to the people. And here... Moses' prayer has a prophetic element, a forthtelling as well as a foretelling element. He wishes, he wills, he prays for something it is God's will to do and will do for the outpouring of the Spirit. Moses makes this prayer when it is reported to him by a young man that comes running to him that Eldad and Medad are engaged in some rather unusual activities back in the camp of Israel. Verses 26 and 27. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, the name of the other Medad, and the spirit rested upon them. And they were of them that were written, but went not out unto the tabernacle. And they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. The text doesn't tell us much about this Eldad and this Medad, other than that they were among those that were written. And what that means is that they were among the 70 men that Moses had registered and summoned to appear at the tabernacle. However, these two men had not gone, but had remained in the camp of Israel. 
Why? We don't know. The text does not tell us. And this can lead to all sorts of speculation. Commentators and interpreters have come up with a multitude of possible reasons why Eldad and Medad stayed in the camp. Some put these two men in a very negative light. They say, here is another manifestation of the rebellious spirit of the children of Israel. These two men received orders from Moses to turn up at the temple or at the tabernacle, and they don't show. But that interpretation and others in that vein really don't fit with the text. The text casts these two men in a rather positive light. And we also don't read of Moses anywhere rebuking them or pointing out their sin. Others have suggested perhaps it was humility that kept Eldad and Medad back at the camp. You remember what Saul did to try to escape being made king of Israel? He hid among the stuff. Perhaps Eldad and Medad were hiding in their tents because they shrank from the weight of responsibility that would come with the work the 70 were called to do, assisting Moses. Perhaps, perhaps. But we simply don't know, and we don't need to know. Ultimately, the explanation is this. God wanted Eldad and Medad in the camp because God was going to show an even greater manifestation of the power of His Spirit. In that Eldad and Medad would prophesy in the camp. Even though they were not gathered with the 68 in the temple courtyard, that didn't get in the way of God's purposes, but the Spirit came upon them just as much as the others, and they prophesied just like the others. God had His purpose in this. The text says Eldad and Medad prophesied in the camp. The impression that leaves us is that the Spirit came upon them and they got up out of their tents, if they were sitting in their tents, and they went out into the camp and they started proclaiming the works and words of God. Perhaps they addressed some of their fellow Israelites who were sitting at the doors of their tents, weeping and complaining about the bland old manna that they had to eat. It brought them the godly rebuke of the Word of God, called them to repentance, pointed them back to the God of their salvation and the wonders He had wrought for them, delivering them out of Egypt. What they could have said, we can only imagine. The fact is, they prophesied. They spoke the Word of God in the camp, empowered by the Spirit that came upon them. There was no escape from the Spirit who cannot be limited God had this purpose too. Hearing of Eldad and Medad prophesying, that would be what drew forth from Moses the prayer of verse 29. Before we look at the words of the prayer itself, we have to look at Joshua's response a moment. That young man comes running from the camp and tells Moses about what Eldad and Medad are doing, and apparently Joshua was there with Moses. No surprise, as Joshua was Moses' right-hand man and the leader of Israel in training, you might say. But Joshua's response, as verse 28 indicates, was one of skepticism and disapproval. Joshua says to Moses, my Lord Moses, forbid them. And then at the beginning of verse 29, Moses perceives why Joshua says this and asks the question, Enviest thou for my sake? 
What was going on here is Joshua saw Eldad and Medad as disobeying orders. Joshua saw Eldad and Medad as engaging in some sort of unauthorized activity that potentially was a threat to Moses' position, Moses' authority, as the leader and teacher in Israel. And we can understand why Joshua might be sensitive to this. Joshua has been by Moses' side in the wilderness. Joshua has seen how Moses has had to contend with the rebellious spirit of the Israelites who complain against him and question his authority. But Moses meekly and gently corrects Joshua. Joshua is misjudging. He doesn't have it right. He doesn't see what's going on here. It's not Eldad and Medad behaving inappropriately. It's God working wonderfully by His Spirit. And Moses is overcome with awe and with joy and with thankfulness and with earnest desire as he sees this wonderful work of God. We see something of his meekness here as well. Joshua wanted to protect Moses' position as the leader of Israel. But Moses says, I'm not threatened by this. I'm not threatened by the Spirit being upon others and empowering them to speak the Word of God. In fact, that's something that rejoices my heart. Do we have that meekness? There's an application for pastors, office bearers. Do we have that meekness? May we have that meekness. So that our first concern is not about our position, our influence, our place in the churches. But our first concern is that the work of God is being done. So that we rejoice and we delight whenever the Lord works by His Spirit in the church. God's gifts to another member of the church or another office bearer should not be seen as a threat to me. It's not about me. It's about God and what He is doing for the good of His people. And to apply that universally, let us not feel threatened by other members who have gifts, who maybe have influence, whom God is using as He wills. But whenever the Spirit works, rejoice and give thanks to God. And now this, as New Testament believers who have the Spirit, who are prophets under Christ, Sometimes God works for your edification by using not just the preaching of the gospel, but using the believer sitting right next to you in the pew. Your brother, your sister in the church, who comes to you perhaps with a word of comfort that you need. But also this, who maybe comes to you with a word of concern or admonition or rebuke, which you also need. And when that happens, have the spirit of Moses here. So easily we say, who is he to say that to me? Who does she think she is to approach me and talk to me about that and instruct me from the Word of God? That's pride. Wherever the Word comes from, whoever the mouthpiece is, doesn't matter. Hear the Word of God. Hear the Word of God as it comes to you from the pulpit and is applied to you, but hear the Word of God as the Spirit works in the heart of your brother or your sister next to you in the pew who brings that Word to you. It's not about the man 
or the woman. It's about the God and His Spirit who is pleased to bring that word to you when you need it through that mouthpiece. Moses recognized that. He was not threatened by God using others for the good of Israel. In fact, he rejoiced in that. He wanted that. He needed that. But now to verse 29. Having heard the report of the young man and having gently corrected Joshua, Moses erupts with a spontaneous, a heartfelt prayer. Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. He saw the visible manifestation of the Spirit upon the 68 in the courtyard of the temple as they began prophesying, speaking the Word of God. And now he has just heard about it, how the Spirit came upon Eldad and Medad and how they were walking through the camp prophesying, speaking the Word. And it's as if Moses saw a brilliant ray of sunlight piercing through the dark clouds. He caught a glimpse of a better day. Of something that was coming for the people of God. He caught a glimpse of Pentecost. His heart yearned for what he saw a glimpse of in these 70. His heart yearned for the day when the Spirit would not just be upon 70 elders, but when the Spirit would be upon all of God's people, every single one of His people, young and old, male and female, office bearer, non-office bearer, all who believe in the name of Jehovah, all who belong to His people, all His elect saints would have the Spirit. Moses catches a glimpse of that day that is coming and he yearns for it and he prays for it. Would that God would put His Spirit upon him. All of these. And you see the generosity, the love in Moses' heart, as vexed as he is by the stiff-neckedness of the people, he loves them. And he yearns for that day when the Spirit will abide upon all God's people. The day when what was individual and limited in the Old Testament would become universal among the true people of God. And that's a hope that manifests, shows itself more and more as the Old Testament goes on. Think of the prophecy of Joel 2, the end of Joel chapter 2, where the prophet Joel says, the Lord will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And your old men will dream dreams. Your youth will prophesy. Pentecost. Pentecost. And that's the fulfillment then. Moses' prayer would be answered centuries later in a marvelous way he scarcely could have imagined on Pentecost. Acts 2. Let's read a couple of verses from that familiar chapter in Acts 2. And what I want to do here is 
draw out a few of the connections that we can see between Numbers 11, the foreshadowing, and Acts 2, the fulfillment. We'll read verses 1 through 4 of Acts 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, or a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then you flip to verse 11 where you have the amazed reaction of the people in Jerusalem. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Pentecost was the great event in which the ascended Lord Jesus poured out His Spirit upon the church. And that was the fulfillment of this ancient prayer of Moses in the wilderness. Let's note a few connections, a few parallels. Even down to the circumstances. In Numbers 11, we have the Old Testament church in a sorry spiritual state. She's grumbling over the fact that she has nothing but manna to eat. The height of ingratitude. In Acts 2, you have the Old Testament church which has just rejected the one who is the bread of life, Christ Jesus. And yet, in both of these cases, God is merciful. And though He chastens His people, He sends help in the form of His Spirit to equip and qualify men to bring the Word to His people, to call them to repentance and faith. And that's what happens here in Acts 2, is it not? The Spirit. In Numbers 11, the 70 elders were gathered around the tabernacle. In Acts 2, the 12 apostles and the 120 disciples are gathered together in one place in the upper room. In Numbers 11, God comes down and His glory cloud rests upon the sanctuary and the Spirit is placed upon those 70 elders. In Acts chapter 2, The Spirit is poured forth from the true temple, the heavenly sanctuary. Here's the most important connection. The one through whom the Spirit is conferred. Back in Numbers 11, God takes the Spirit that was upon Moses and places that Spirit upon the seventy. In a certain sense, the 70 do not partake of the Spirit except through Moses. And who is Moses? He's the picture mediator. The type of Jesus Christ. And that's Pentecost. Jesus ascended. And as Acts 2 verse 33 tells us, upon His ascension, He received from the Father the gift of the Spirit. And then Jesus pours out the Spirit as His own Spirit upon His church. The church receives and partakes of the Spirit only through the Mediator, the victorious Christ. And the result church prophesies. 
Pentecost brings the church out of spiritual childhood into spiritual maturity. The Spirit comes upon all believers, illuminating them, enabling them to more fully and richly understand the Word of God so that they prophesy, they speak that Word of God. And that's what Acts 2 shows us. The 120, verse 4 says, spoke in tongues. And verse 11 tells us the content of their speech. They spoke of the wonderful works of God. They prophesied. The fulfillment. How rich is this fulfillment? Fulfilled. The word fits. Full. Filled. The Spirit is poured out. Not a trickle or a little stream as it was in the Old Testament, but as a mighty rushing river. So that the disciples, God's people, are filled. Acts 2 verse 4 says, no more is the Spirit simply upon or even resting upon them, but the Spirit fills them, indwells them, makes them His temple. Now this, Moses' prayer, would that God would put His Spirit upon all the people. And that's what we see here. All. Not just the twelve apostles, but all 120. Young and old, male and female, the Spirit filled them. There's a Catholicity to this word all here. And as you read on in the book of Acts, you see the ripple effects of Pentecost. Pentecost was like a stone being dropped into the water, which sends ripples further and further out into Judea, into Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So that in Acts 8, you read of Peter and John coming to Samaria after Philip has labored there, and they pray for the believers there, and the Spirit comes upon the believers in Samaria. And you go on to Acts 10, and you read of Peter going to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile, the Roman centurion. And after Peter brings the Word of God, what happens? The Spirit comes upon Cornelius and his household, and they speak in tongues, speak of the wonderful works of God. The ripples of Pentecost going out, out, out. Till they reach you and me today. You have the Spirit, beloved. And that's the wonderful truth of Pentecost because of what Jesus Christ has done. You have the Spirit of Christ Himself dwelling in you. And that Spirit unites you to Christ. And that bond can never be severed. The Spirit works in you to communicate all of the blessings of salvation from Christ to you, and that pipeline can never be broken. The Spirit makes you His temple. He abides with you. He is your comforter. And He strengthens and equips you to do what this text speaks about. To be a believer prophet who's in the Word, who knows the Word, and who is able to bring that Word to others and to live by that word. Don't take the gift of the Spirit for granted. Don't go back to the Old Testament and say, 
I can't do anything but just rely upon the office bearers. No, God gives us office bearers for a good reason. They equip us for the work we're called to do as Christians, but we have the Spirit. Now, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, that's what gives us the clarity and the sharpness of vision to do our self-examination. The Spirit of Christ in us. By the Spirit, we take the Word. We apply it to ourselves. We see our sins. We confess them. We turn to Christ as He's revealed in the Gospel. We seek from God His sanctifying grace. Walk in the Spirit, beloved. Live out of the Spirit. That most precious of gifts that Christ has won for you by His cross. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the Holy Spirit, for His manifold gifts and blessings, and that Thou hast poured Him out upon Thy church so that He dwells in us. Grant that we may live by the power of the Spirit, that we may be Thy witnesses in the midst of this world, that we may live according to Thy Word, and that we may speak that Word for one another's edification, and for thy glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.